Shalom, this is Rabbi Paul Saul from Congregation Shuv Israel in West Hartford, Connecticut. And today I want to go back to the beginning as we turn our Torah scrolls back and begin with Bereshit, literally in the beginning. And today I want to explore the story of humankind outside the Garden of Eden. Now, like Cain, we should be uncomfortable that the first encounter outside the garden is an event of fratricide. Yet, if we're honest with ourselves, we need to admit that we walk away with less emotional investment into this narrative than we have actually put into the average Super Bowl. So lamentably, those of us who are most committed to the inspiration and the historicity of the Genesis accounts often accept a very pale, one-dimensional rendering of these stories that strips away the great complexity of the human drama. So why then does the inspired writer force us at the outset of the human journey to confront such a violent accounting of sibling rivalry? I believe that the answer lies between the lines of the terse narrative found in the fourth chapter of Breshit. The sages engaged in a homiletic enterprise called Midrash, which comes from the word that means to search, drash. By developing stories that filled in the missing details to the biblical narratives, they searched out the unanswered questions that arose. Far more important than the static details of the stories themselves are the challenges that they pose to the hearer and the lessons they teach about the divine human encounter. If this form of exposition sounds familiar, it should. The inspired authors of the Brit Chadashah, including Yeshua himself, used a kind of a form of midrash and engaged the existing midrash-like stories of their day. If we approach the fourth chapter of Genesis with this approach, we may be challenged by some very perplexing questions. What is the nature of Cain and Abel's relationship? And why does God accept Abel's but not Cain's offering? What happened when the brothers confronted one another at the climax of the story? Does Cain ever regret killing his brother? And does he ever experience the forgiveness and peace of Hashem? Tantalizing questions such as these invite us to respond personally to what is in many ways our very own story. Even the opening words beckon us to be immersed in this narrative. Ve'adam yada et chava ishto. Now, the man had known his wife, Chava, or Eve. The verb yada, to know, is more than a mere idiom for sexual relations. Rather, it expresses a genuine intimacy that enjoins companionship to procreation. Only through this relationship between men and women can there be true reverence for the mystery, the dignity, and the sacredness of life. Companionship is the first and the primary end of the male-female relationship. The Torah declares that Hashem created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This expression of primacy suggests that male and female are distinct, unique, and equal halves in the design of human totality. One Midrash suggests that the first person was created androgynous, with a male and a female side, two-faced and unable to see one another. Hashem then severed the two sides so they might face each other and truly come to know 
his or her other side. This is found in Genesis Rabbah. Torah states, therefore a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. This midrash illustrates that a wife is a man's other self, and vice versa. But the Creator is at the center of the wholeness and the intimacy. The narrative of chapter 4 goes on to state that the woman conceived and bore Cain, saying, Kaniti ish et Hashem, I have acquired a man with Hashem. What a strange expression. The great medieval commentator Rashi elaborates, My husband and I were created by Hashem alone, but through the birth of Cain, we are partners with him. So by this reckoning, the Creator is the unseen senior partner in the intimacy, and the man and the woman are the junior partners in the work of sustaining creation outside of the garden. The sacred narrator remarks, and additionally she bore his brother Abel. The birth of Abel is almost an afterthought, an asterisk in the story of Cain. Abel seems to have little inherent value apart from Cain. In fact, the Hebrew name Havel means a wisp or a shadow. And he is, in fact, a shadow of his older brother in the story. Though Abel brings the favored sacrifices, it seems only to illustrate the failure of Cain. Abel neither speaks nor protests until his blood is spilled by Cain, and it cries out from the ground in obvious alliteration. The dam, or blood, of Adam, the human, cries out from the Adama, the earth. Immediately following the birth of the brothers, the narrator informed us of their occupations. Like most people today, the narrator seems more interested in the roles they play than in who they are. But they are the classic herder and farmer. Abel, the herder, would be the nomad the one who would transverse the earth. Cain, on the other hand, is tied to the land, stayed and stable. But he and his voice are permanently tied to the earth. And Cain, on the other hand, is destined to wander the earth and essentially become his brother as well as they switch roles. Our brothers are destined to bring out the best and the worst in all of us. The contrast between Cain and Abel is further accentuated by the offerings that each made and Hashem's response to them, acceptance of one and rejection of the other. All the inspired author tells us of Cain's reaction are these few terse words. Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. If only Cain could talk to us now, he might have said, I've really been wronged. I believe this world was created in goodness, but now I can see that good deeds are not rewarded. Hashem rules this world with an arbitrary power. Why else would he respect Abel's offering and not mine? There may be no adequate answer to give to Cain. Perhaps the Almighty is communicating one of the most important lessons about living outside the garden. This world we live in is fraught with inequalities. There is simply no guarantee that our best efforts will be rewarded or appreciated. 
Hashem again confronts Cain as his brother lies dead in the dust. Cain responds, I do not know. We began this chapter with the man knowing his wife, implying a certain intimacy and bonding. And here Cain replies, Yo, lo yadati, translated either I do not know or I did not know. Cain suggests that he had neither knowledge of what transpired nor was expected of him in relation to his brother. So Hashem gives him a last chance to face his actions and asks, What have you done? The earth, which is the symbol of stability, is taken from Cain, and he becomes a wanderer, a drifter, a wisp like his brother. In killing his brother, he becomes his brother. According to one uh, Midrash, Abel's dog became Cain's dog, wandering the earth with him. This is found in Bereshit Rabbah 22. Still another legend suggests that Cain shared Abel's fate and was later killed by Lamech a blood relative five generations removed. Cain and Abel could be compared to the two trees that stood side by side. When a strong wind uprooted one, it fell upon the other and uprooted it. It's declared in Jubilees chapter 4. Perhaps Cain might better reflect on the lesson learned as we imagine his improved response. My brother and I are one. I can learn from this lesson. He is not only my foil, he is my complement. Truly, if I do well, then the Creator, blessed be he, will reward my best efforts in kind. I am my brother's keeper. Oh, if he had responded in this way. We still live with the reality of human struggle and complexity. We live with the conflict between good and evil, and we wrestle with the apparent inequalities in our world. At times, we bemoan our station and our fortune, as if to figuratively wave our fist in the air, as if challenging the design of the master architect. Sometimes this challenge is within ourselves as we sense the tug of war between our God-breathed inclination and our propensity to sin. And at other times, our brothers cover us like a reproaching shadow, replicating our own dark side. The, even, the Eden of our dreams at times seems like a lifetime away. But the promise of the letter to the Hebrews is that we, live, that we can live in the light of the age to come. According to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24, On the contrary, you have come to Mount Zion, that is the city of the living God, heavenly Yerushalayim, to myriads of angels in festive assembly, to a community of the firstborn whose names have been recorded in heaven, to a judge who is God of everyone, to spirits of righteous people who have been brought to the goal, to the mediator of a new covenant, Yeshua, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better things than that of Havel. Cain, the son of the first person, is every person human, vulnerable, sinful, even potentially violent. Yet I believe that he is able to grow. As he reconciles himself with his past and moves on, we are challenged to confront ourselves, our relationship with others and with Hashem. Are we willing to receive the grace of the Creator through the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Havel, of Abel? 
Do we have the courage every day to allow the Spirit of Hashem to make essential changes in ourselves so that we are not destined to live out our lives as we are today? Will we move beyond the inevitable pain of disappointment and of rejection? And will we receive healing, wholeness, and the peace of our Creator? This is Rabbi Paul Saul. I hope you have found this drash to be rewarding. Continue to seek out the Torah for yourself. Think about these relationships. And if you enjoyed this and want to read and hear other Torah commentaries such as this, just go to umjc.org. Shalom.